Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Kate Woda. I'm pleased today to share a panel session from the 2019 IO Combinations 360 event. Dr. Daniel Chen of IGM Biosciences moderated a discussion about advancing bispecifics for combination immunotherapy between Dr. Julie Bayliss of Amgen, Dr. Raj Ganesan of Janssen R&D, and Pfizer's Dr. David Scher. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate being invited here. Congratulations. You've made it to the first panel break. Um, this is an opportune uh, time to have a discussion around bispecifics. Um, and I thought I would just start off by saying a few words on this. You've heard a lot of talks this morning. You've seen talks that represent many of the cutting-edge approaches people are taking to cancer immunotherapy at this point in 2019. And one of the interesting things I'd call out is that you didn't see a lot of presentations on monospecific approaches using antibodies or small molecules that hit one target. And that's interesting because that is itself an evolution in our field. Uh, it's an evolution in our field across all novel therapeutics. But in particular, if you think about the immune response, the immune system, and cancer immunotherapy, there are a few places that bispecific and related approaches are more appropriate. And that's largely because the immune system doesn't tend to be a one-trick pony. If anything, the immune system is much more like a Rube Goldberg device. For those of you familiar with these contraptions that have all sorts of things going on at the same time, inputs, outputs, in every which direction. And it's how our immune systems are built. And it's built that way for a very specific reason. It's because the immune system fulfills a role that's so important and so powerful that it requires all those inputs and outputs to maintain precise control. So it doesn't get out of control, and yet can still respond to nearly any possible threat that the organism can face. And so with that, I think we've seen this interesting um, emergence of novel approaches to cancer immunotherapy, uh, approaches that take on many different targets as a possibility. And with that, come things like bispecifics. So here I'm, I, I will invite up for our panel in a moment the opportunity to dis discuss bispecifics. And to focus us during this time, we're going to focus primarily on T-cell engaging bispecifics as one approach. But we would like to leave some time at the end to discuss the broader range of bispecifics. So with that, I'd like to invite up Julie Bayliss from um, Amgen, uh, Rajkumar uh, Ganesam from Janssen, and David Scher from Pfizer. Please come on up. I would like to take the opportunity to note that the panel discussion, while we're prepared to talk amongst ourselves for the next 30 minutes, is really intended to be um, 
open-ended and engaging with the audience. So please, if you do have specific questions or you want to have a conversation with someone on the stage or even someone else in the audience, please feel, feel free to come up to one of the microphones. But maybe we can start. Julie, do you want to mention, um, from your perspective, how you would define T-cell bispecifics, and in this case, T-cell bispecifics that are T-cell engagers? I think you gave a very nice introduction, Dan. So we think about T cell engagers as oh, T cell engagers as one end of a molecule is directed against a tumor-associated antigen, the other end is directed against CD3, primarily against uh, CD3 epsilon. Although there are, are other examples, um, and I guess we can focus at the beginning for just that bi-specific nature of molecule. There are different kinds of formats. I think um, if we go to our slides, there, there was a recent review published which um, gives an overview of the multiple kinds of formats. Basically, every group has their own format. And some of the things that differentiate are kind of monovalent binding, um, bivalent binding, different affinity on the target side, different affinity on the CD3 side, um, and then other tricks that maybe we'll get to talk about. So it's interesting. I mean, this approach of T cell engagers obviously binds to a, primarily to a tumor antigen and part of the TCR complex, the CD3 complex. Um, and so when you group that with something like CAR T cells, which have a similar approach, but from a cellular angle, it does form sort of this grouping of synthetic immune approaches. And I don't know, Raj, whether you'd like to comment on T-cell engagers using antibody and antibody-like approaches versus the cellular approach. Okay. Uh, in, in essence, the pharmacology that you can drive from either with the uh, antibody-based T-cell engager or a CAR T is the same, but there are some subtle differences, as you know. Uh, CAR T persists longer, whereas antibody is clear. So if there's any adverse events, it's advantageous to use uh, antibody-based uh, bispecific rather than CAR T. And uh, the, the field was like uh, really hurt in the, in the, in the beginning, like uh, manufacturability challenges were persisting in the past. And most of this is solved. Nowadays, we can make bispecifics homogeneously in large quantities, and they behave well. And the field has evolved so much. And CAR T's, as you know, the cost of manufacturing is huge. That, that's limiting uh, some of its applications. I don't know, Dave, do you want to jump in on, on sure. that? Sure. I mean, I mean, no offense to my colleagues in the audience, but, you know, when Blinto first came out, um, you know, I remember at Sloan Kettering, he basically said, oh, it's CAR T cells in a bottle. Um, you know, and I think many of us think of that and sort of in my naivete, not understanding the pharmacodynamics and pharmacokinetics of using a, a, a bite versus a CAR T cell and the benefits of it. But I think the field is trying to move to where can you get the benefit of both, right? The ability to, you know, use the fast clearance of an antibody if you need to, the targeting, the manufacturing, but, you know, the CAR T cells still do have their advantages in their long-lived life. And I think that's where you know, I coming from a translational space of what new therapies can we bring in? 
who are the patients that we're going to use it in, and you know, how can we get them the benefit? What is the best modality to get them that? And you know, it seems like I'm looking at this. I love this figure here because everybody's thought of a different way, and I interacted with a lot of antibody guys who used to come up with new and cooler ways to make antibodies. But are we getting the pharmacodynamic, you know, the if efficacy we want from these molecules? Are we getting? Can we replace CAR T cells? Um, sorry, I look at I look at my, I look at Michael in the audience. It's part of my training here. But the uh, um, or you know, can we get differential biology with from these bites with CAR T cells uh, as a, a modality to get us better efficacy for our patients? Well, maybe we can go into this further. So are T-cell engaging antibody and antibody approaches CAR T-cells in a bottle? Not exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, that was the hope. I think the, the, um, the Blinto, you know, the first things we saw is the fact that it was fast clearance. And um, we weren't, you know, you're not getting these long-lived efficacy originally that you were able to get with the CAR T-cells. Uh, from the patients, and I think now it's getting better. And I think now, as we get better at making these biospecifics, you know, you're getting better for pharmacodynamics. But you know, having been in a place last year where I was evaluating many of these cell therapy companies, um, manufacturing is a big issue. Uh, the manufacturing has been, in some senses, solved for the the antibody biospecifics to a degree, but. CAR T-cells still suffer that issue. However, you can still package a super T-cell, you know, and you're getting the, necessarily, you have the ability to get the T-cells you want, which is one of the concerns I always have for our bites and our biospecifics. And a question I, you know, had for Julie was, are you concerned that you're activating the wrong T-cells? Well, so before we go to Julian, I do think there's a natural segue here. It's interesting because you're using the example of Blincido, but Blincido is the very first generation of a T-cell engaging approach. And so, you know, Julie, when we look at the data coming out now, there are so many different approaches. Can we really say that, for example, targeting BCMA with a T-cell engager versus a CAR-T that one is better, worse, or the same? Right. So actually, I was going to ask Dave a different question, which is when you look at this slide with the multiple formats, right, essentially what you're saying is it doesn't matter what the format matters, what the effect is. And so what you're looking at is really what's the efficacy and presumably what's the safety. Is that when you're comparing, you're kind of putting like bispecific as one category versus cellular therapy. Well, you know, as, as I think you mentioned with the, the rule Rube Goldberg device here with the immune system, and honestly, you can never, you know, you can never second-guess the immune system and always prove you wrong. Um, you know, I look at all these formats, and I worry sometimes, is one of them the absolute wrong format because you're activating the immune system, you're activated against one of these formats. These are very foreign-looking, you know, molecules. Um, I don't know what the best format is. I think one of the th things I was taught along the way um, when I was at uh, Imclone Lilly uh, by Dale Ludwig, who was one of our antibody um, technology guys, he said, you get what you screen for. And, and that's, that's a really key message here is that as we're making one of these molecules and we choose from which you know, format we want, if we, uh, what is it, number 20 there. I've seen a, I've seen a couple with number 20. Um, I like that format when you just want to mop up something and you want to mop up three things. 
But I get a little concerned when you're trying to get too creative, if that makes sense. Yeah, keep it simple if you can. Keep it to a point where you can keep it to a point where you can understand how it's working. Sometimes it's uh, not easy, right? Like uh, it's really hard to have one size fits all for bi specific scaffold, and sometimes it's target dependent, and most times it's also like uh, what kind of immune cells you want to engage. I mean, I ask the audience: Does anybody have a favorite number? Do you mind coming up to the microphone? Um, I was going to ask you, actually, why do you think the blinutumab is the only one that's working? I mean, I understand there's multiple fantastic options. We can test them in we mice. I don't think we said that. I think it just was the first. There's the no, no, no. It's, it's my question. I, I understand. Yeah. Because right now, last, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the clinic, the only one that's working is blinutumab format, the platform. Not really. Like Roche's CD20, CD3 is working awesome. It's a different platform. It's not Blinitoma-based platform, it's, right? Yeah, it's IgG-based. Okay, thank you. I mean, it, it opens up a different door, and I'm going to go back to you, Julie, on this. Is actually Blin the worst platform? <laughs> <laughs> well, as you mentioned, Blin is the first generation, and uh, the newer molecules are, a, you know, optimized version, um, cross-reactive to non-human primates, lets us do more safety evaluation. And I think to your question about the BCMAs, they, you know, so far they look pretty equivalent to the CAR-T. So we're looking forward to more data coming out, but um, I think first generation inspired a lot of competition and people had, had ideas, you know, maybe build on this limitation of Blinn. Um, and we're, we're starting to see that with the clinical studies coming out. So sticking with the, the different platforms, obviously there's a lot of technology being evaluated here. You mentioned, David, I think you mentioned, you get what you screen for. So what do you screen for? That's a, that's a good question. Sometimes I feel that a lot of the molecules, I mean, I, my experience with biospecifics has been primarily with dual checkpoints. Um, of course, I appreciate and want to use the T cell redirecting as well. But what that situation is, is what is the biology that you're trying to achieve that you don't think you can achieve from a monospecific agent? Um, you know, with the screening, you know, you have the issue is can you, what I liked about seeing uh, Julie's presentation was this FAP41BB. You know, you, you want to get a T cell activated, and that was the question, you know, are you activating the right T cells? So if you're going to activate all of them, is there a this is what you're going to get. Can you screen for a biospecific that's CD8, um, you know, preferential? I mean, actually, that's a good question. I haven't tried to screen for that. Can you screen yeah, for that? We haven't tried for that either. We've, <laughs> we've actually tried to advertise it the other way, that in vitro it can engage any T cell. But I think in vivo, the data are coming out. How about you, Raj? Yeah. Uh, it's I like the competitive intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> If I say Michael will kill me, so <laughs> we should make Michael come up on the panel. But I think he's got in his. In fact, own I'm smoke. pretty sure we will in a few minutes. But please. Thank you. Great uh, panel discussion. I'm Xiaohong Fan from FDA. Um, my question is, is it really interesting about biospecific. I'm wondering. I don't know if you have touched upon this. Because there are so many other targets, is it possible 
Or have anybody tried a tri-specific, a quadra-specific? If not, why not? Yeah, I mean, in Janssen, we are actively pursuing tri-specifics. The reasons being like relapse and antigen loss, heterogeneity, for all those reasons, we are trying to combine multiple tumor targets with the CD3. So Raj, when you say tri-specific, you mean two tumor antigens targeting portions plus one CD3 binder. Uh, that's our primary interest, but we are also uh, starting to combine immune modulators sometimes, like uh, activators or agonists plus CD3, trying to co-op, like if you co-engage two things on an immune cell, would it be advantageous, what David was mentioning? But can, can you comment anything about whether a tri-specific or multi-specific on one molecule, um, what would you need for it to be better? How would you tell if that would be better or different than just combining you know, a T-cell engager with something else? Sure. So uh, let's say two B-cell lineage targets, for instance. Uh, we would have two bispecifics that would work. But then with those two individual bispecifics, you would have increased uh, safety risk having like two CD3 arms engaging and having uh, potential issues. And what we have seen is, uh, as you saw in the TGF beta trap, there's always some unique advantages of avidity-driven binding by a bispecific. And in this case, if you have a tri-specific, you would have similar advantages. I mean, it is an interesting approach, right? As we think about even within a T-cell engager field, um, what are the characteristics that you're looking for when you build a multi-specific, a tri-specific, or quad-specific? Is everything about driving um, either additional engagement or stimulation, or is some of that actually targeting to cell types and compartments to limit toxicity? And obviously, FAP for 1BB is one approach that's doing exactly that, right? The targeting isn't to a cancer cell, it's to a cancer microenvironment component. You know, I think that's a really good point. I think uh, Drew brought it up earlier, which is, you know, you know, where is our target expressed? You know, do we want to activate 41BB everywhere, or do we want to activate it, you know, in the tumor? The other gauge of here is what, one of the biggest issues we have for immunotherapy in general. I mean, I think people forget it kind of works better in people than it does in mice. <laughs> uh, in mice, we had give a tumor, and you know it's basically a vaccine that fights back in a mouse model. The um, in patients, we have coming in the door at all stages of disease, and yet we're getting these fantastic. I mean, when I walked into Sloan Kettering um, in 2005, melanoma median survival was nine months. You know, look where we are now with PD-1 therapy. The but the point is, the problem still is, is that we have a very nonspecific activation of the immune response, and we are just hoping and praying, and we're telling our patients, it's probably going to go for your tumor first, you know, and not other parts of your body. Or maybe it's redirected in the wrong direction against, you know, and you don't even get to see it. So this is what I love about the beauty about the T-cell engagers, is can we give our immune system direction and then get in these combinatorial approaches, and you know, multimodality and you know, longitudinal therapy, the ability to say, get it, the party started, then come in with our checkpoints, and then come in with our more broader therapies to clean up the mess. So that seems like a nice segue to combinations. 
Um, when you, and so maybe I'd like to start off by asking you guys what you think in terms of T-cell engagers. How much, that's a very powerful synthetic immune response, whether it's done with a T-cell engaging antibody or a CAR T-cell. How much of an endogenous anti-cancer immune response does that lead to? Can you ask me that question again in a year from now? <laughs> year All right, so you don't have the answer yet. Do you? Well, well, but, but you, no, you bring up a really, I, so I have, um, you know, Pfizer has a couple by specifics that I've been fortunate enough to join into the programs. We have a couple coming, you know, in our pipeline. Uh, we have targeted therapeutics group, but that's, you know, for my translational strategies here is to answer that question. Do we need an endogenous that's on the top of my list. So let's just say I don't want to wait a year. Julie, Raj, do you guys have an I, answer today? I, I think it comes from the clinical data, right? In the case of Blinn, we can see that one potential mechanism of resistance is the upregulation of PD-1, PD-L1. So that makes an obvious combination, and that's where we initially focused efforts. But I think other, you know, if you're starting to look around at what does it, you know, where does it work? What's limiting activity? What could you do to boost activity? It's probably going to be disease dependent. But that PD-1, PD-L1 that comes up may very well just be a reflexive response to the activity of the T-cell engager or CAR-T. I guess what I'm really asking is how much data do we have in terms of seeing that once you start to kill a cancer with a bispecific, a T-cell engager or a CAR-T, how much do you also see that endogenous anti-cancer immune response come up? Because obviously, when you drive that killing, you get necrosis, you get cytokine release, you get a lot of powerful stimulators of an immune response. So I think that question is best addressed in the solid tumor space. Uh, maybe I'm a little partial, but you know that's a really good question because you know preclinically, I think you've seen data when you um, even use uh, tumor antigen-directed T cells against tumors, that they're basically starting the initial response, and it needs the feed forward of uh, constant immune therapy and antigen spreading. But in the fact that we've been having our most success in liquid tumors first, you know, and now the space is trying to with the MUC16, the EPCAMs, the, you know, the um, CEA, but by specifics trying to enter the solid tumor space, it's going to be a really important question because, you know, if you, the same problem we're having CAR T cells, the same problem we're having with bites and by specifics is the fact is that, and in a sense ADCs, is that if you, you need a surface tumor antigen, and if the tumor cell does not have a need for that antigen, it sure has a good reason to get rid of it under pressure. And we've seen that with CD19, and, you know, so, Will this happen with solid tumors? And do we need that endogenous immune response to get activated in order to get our patients the real efficacy that they want, which is, of course, cures and real CRs, deep CRs? I'd like to see how the data is. And if we follow Drew's um, goal here, which is you know continue to look in these trials, we'll understand if, if our therapies are really doing that and justifies then coming back to our agonists that maybe don't work so well in the steady state immune response, but if you start the response back off with one of these bispecifics or a CAR T cell, then you come back in with these to finish the new immune response against that tumor. So Michael, I think I promised to call on you. Um, Michael Kalos from Janssen, um, probably well known to many of you. 
Michael, your thoughts on this in terms of synthetic immune approaches themselves driving endogenous immunity? Endogenous anti-cancer immunity. Yeah, are you referring to epitope spreading type events, Dan? So, I mean, I, you know, my, my, my personal thoughts are that epitope spreading is a great concept. It's been shown in animals, but never really convincingly in humans, uh, to, my, to my knowledge. Um, I think that um, I, would, I would not count on it being a driving force as an adjunct to the immunotherapies we're developing. Just at least I don't. I, I count on the CAR-Ts doing their business in the most effective ways, and I count on my redirectors to do their business in the most effective ways. And, and that's what I can count on. I don't know if that's, a, that's the answer. So, um, if but I find that surprising. Yeah, why? Um, because if you look at so many of the approaches that we take in cancer immunotherapy, many of those signals that we try to use as therapeutics actually come up in the response to an effective yeah. CAR T-cell or T-cell engager. Yeah. It's a good point, Dan. I mean, you know, we, 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 we talk about, for example, immunogenic chemotherapy, right? The, the Pembro plus, uh, plus uh, Pemetrexid approval now, right? And, and the notion that that does something to trigger an endogenous T-cell response, that Pembro, right? Yeah, but have we shown it? Has it ever been demonstrated that that's the mechanism that's operative? That's the point I'm making. So um, it's gravy in my mind, but I don't count on it when I develop my therapies. Um, so I guess more to follow. Maybe I, we're back to the let's talk about that again in a year. Let's, let's, see, it ha let's see a case in patients where it happens. I do think CAR-Ts, by the way, are, are very, very different from redirectors, right? In, in the re it, it, from the perspective that the, the CAR-T is, is an actual living drug that evolves, that changes, that persists. And these attributes are likely to be very important for the, 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 the complete responses and long-term efficacy of that approach. Right? And that's something that, at least at this point, we're just not able to recreate with a, with a bispecific that engages a T-cell for a finite period of time and then the specificity is lost, right? And, and what, so I think they're really fundamentally very different. It would be oh. fascinating to, to create a bispecific that, that makes a car, makes a T-cell respond like a living drug. Well, that's interesting because you're talking to a panel that is focused on T-cell bispecifics. Yeah. So I would ask you, is that what your statement actually supported by the current clinical data available? Is it true that the CAR-T is actually able to achieve something that the T-cell bispecifics yeah. aren't able to do? Because obviously the CAR-Ts have a lot more data, right? Yeah. They've been studied for a lot longer. Um, but I would, when you look at the data that's come through, primarily I think at ASH 2018 was where a lot of that data was shown, it's less clear today how, where their differences are. Clearly there are differences, yeah. but where are they? Yeah, so, you know, different diseases, different patients, different drugs, it's really hard to come to firm conclusions. Um, but at, at least in the hematologic malignancies with the CD19 story, the, the, the long-term persistence and a phenotype that's emerging both with the persisting cells, with the infused cells, and the, th that phenotype really matters in terms of outcome. It's just not something that we can recapitulate with a bispecific, right? So the outcome, complete responses, efficacy, 
those might be trending in the same direction, right, for both of these emerging therapies. But how they develop in the long term, I think, is still to be played out. But I think the fact that we're working with a living drug in the CAR-T space, if we learn how to, how to, to channel and, and finesse that living drug, we'll be able to do something that I think will be very important for the ultimate success of that strategy. But it's interesting because you refer to the living drug and the ongoing effects. But my understanding is if you look at the two leading CD19-directed yeah. CAR-T cells, only one of them is particularly long-lived. The other one's actually relatively short-lived. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure Michael has some hypotheses so on I, that one. I, I do, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to comment on which I think is superior in terms of a drug ultimately, just as a drug, right, not in all the other parameters. But... Um, I can tell you, I, I was at Penn when we developed the, the, the CAR-T that became Kimraya, right? Um, and the, the ability of that cell to differentiate and persist for long periods of time in vivo was a very important parameter in terms of the long-term complete responses in those patients. Um, so that, that, was, that was an observation, right? And um, quite simply, I don't see that that is something that is captured in the current generation of biospecifics. So the outcome and what we've seen so far is, is complete responses, strong, strong activity in both cases. How those fields are going to play out in the long term is what I'm referring to. You know, it'll let Michael off the hook. Thank you. No, I'm, because I'm, I'm he's happy. not even part of the panel. <laughs> um, but yeah. sorry, it's been fun to get back Go in ahead, touch Dave. with my old boss here. Um, Michael brings up really good points that, you know, I mean, I think if, as good scientists, we have to be constantly challenging our thought process and um, what assumptions we make here. There's parts of CAR-T, you know, even insulting CAR-T cells by seeing bites or CAR-T cells in a bottle. Um, you know, CAR-T cells, to me, when I first learned about them, and I was like, ooh, this is fantastic. We're going to fix everything that's wrong. We're going to put it in the cell, and we're going to send it back in. Uh, the problem with the bites is, oh, sorry, I keep saying bites. That's somebody's trademark. Uh, the bispecifics is, do we know the exact dose? Do we know, you know, the one thing I like about CAR T cells is that even though you know, are doing a chimeric antigen receptor, you, you have most of the T cell parts, and the T cell decides what it wants to do after that. With the bispecifics, now we're kind of deciding how much and how long and how far to give it. Have we made that and this is a question I asked my preclinical lead for our newest, one of our newer ones. I'm like, do we know if we give it for too long? Is that going to be a bad thing? You know, the T cell makes its decision of how long to engage for and things like that. You know, this is where the benefits of the CAR T cells of let, letting the brains of the T cell decide instead of us deciding with how much and how much far we dose this with and can we. But what, but what if you have an off-the-shelf CAR T? It kind of gets rid of that advantage or not. I don't know. Allergene was spun off from uh, Pfizer, so I, <laughs> I guess it's not part of Pfizer anymore. But um, I don't know. We have a good que question. So I, I'd like to come back to the safety uh, aspects of these types of therapies. And in looking at the ways in which the bispecifics have been designed, I'm struck that people have not yet built in fuses so that in instances of exaggerated immune responses, we can dissociate those molecules in vivo with an inert small molecule. And I'm just curious whether or not that's been bounced around at any of your companies. That might go advantage CAR T cell. 
right there because they have been building infuses. Uh, but do they, are they effective? They have been built in, absolutely, but how effective are they? It's a good question. I don't know. No, I think uh, by nature, uh, some of these antibodies are cleared in the system within days, but these adverse events may happen in hours. Uh, at least I'm not aware of any internal safety switch for uh, bispecific yet. Although, you know, we heard earlier today about the evolution of Amgen's products towards having FC to increase uh, the half-life of the molecule. You know, there, there is an upside of engaging an acute inflammatory response. And we were talking just a, a moment ago about, you know, T-cells doing what they naturally like to do. One of the things that T-cells naturally like to do is to protect the tissues by upregulating negative regulators. Um, so we have to pay attention to how immune responses transform during chronicity. Uh, and there might be some you know, dual advantages, both from a safety standpoint, but also this notion of trying to engage acute immunity uh, with fuses and uh, you know, short-lived CAR T-cells. And it really does come back to the question of how much do you want? You know, I think as drug developers, we tend to take the simplistic approach and just say, if we're going to make a therapy against cancer, well, we want it to be as around as high a level for as long a period of time as we can. Um, but I think as we've learned with T-cell agonists, and perhaps also with T-cell engagers, is that really the goal? It's a good question, but I think before I <laughs> jump on it, I'll let you answer your question. Yeah, slightly different question. Um, as I look at the different scaffolds that you see here on the summary slide, um, part of the rationale for the smaller versions are to potentially increase penetration. And as we think about the size disparity between a cell therapeutic approach and what are some of these smaller pieces, what does the field understand about how smaller fragments versus larger cells may modulate that question of penetration, specifically in solid tumors where everything's going. I'll look to you guys. You have the most experience here. Sure. Um, we have some preclinical experience with B-cell targeted, either byte or byte FC, different kinds of formats where we've looked at biodistribution and we find um, essentially no difference in the different formats, but I think it may depend in patients in the solid tumor setting kind of what, what the immune status of the tumor is, whether T-cells are already there, whether you need to bring them in, um, kind of what's going to happen. Because for the T-cell engager to work, you need not only, you know, the, the molecule has to get there, but also T-cells have to get there. I mean, it's an interesting hypothesis that was raised. You know, obviously it was raised at the, essentially the inception of the field of T-cell engagers. Um, but it's interesting to think now about after, what is it, over a decade of work on these types of things, whether that initial hypothesis is really yeah. true. Yeah. If the T-cell uh, migration is the limiting factor, then it almost yeah. might not matter what the molecule is. I mean, after all, we, we, many people in this room work on things like oncolytic viruses, certainly on cellular therapy. These are things that are orders of magnitude larger yeah. than whether you're talking about a, a small peptide fragment or a larger antibody structure. Ron? Can I ask yeah. a quick uh, question of the panel? Um, I brought my own microphone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, uh, can I just go back to the, the CAR-T versus the bispecific? Because um, the conversation seems to be around sort of head-to-head -head comparisons, right? Which we can do with maybe BCMA at some point soon. 
But does the panel think that the CAR-Ts and bispecifics will sort of target the same patient populations, or are there intrinsic qualities of patients, immune fitness, that might lend one to choose a bispecific over a CAR-T? I think that's a really good question. I think, Dan, you kind of brought it up with the BCMA. Um, you know, in a sense, going back to what I said earlier, you get what you screen for. I think we're screening for that right now in clinic to figure that out because we have ideas of what may work better, but I don't really know that answer. I think you need to see what ends up happening in a sense. BCMA is going to be a great space where we have uh, four or five different, now you see why we put it on the slides. Uh, um, four or five different, you know, bispecifics going head-to-head -head in very early phase trials now. Um, I'll change it to that one yeah. just so that to amplify the effect oh, the amplify, of how many oh, different approaches I like, the, we have. I like number 19 on the bottom there. That's one of my favorites. Um, the, uh, you're going to have different, and we forget that the CD3 arms are different. The, you know, the arm against BCMA is different. Does that stoichiometry, the, uh, the the distance the T cell is from its target matter, does that orientation matter? And then, you know, the access to the tissue and what cells are there already, or do you need to make the cells and then send them in? Who's going to get you the better efficacy? I think it's going to play out now in the next two years, at least to hopefully address it for multiple myeloma. Yeah, and I think, Ian, to your question, I don't think we're up here trying to debate whether CAR T cells or T cell engagers are better. In fact, it's impossible to do that because both technologies are emerging. So we don't, I don't think it's possible in 2019 to say what even a, a CAR T cell is or a T cell engager is um, because it's likely to evolve a lot in the next 10 years. Um, so I think it's more important for us to just start to call out places where they're similar and then places where they may be different. Um, maybe before we wrap up, we can focus a little bit on combinations. So obviously, bispecifics themselves um, incorporate a number of combinations. But as you think about these as an approach, what are we prioritizing in terms of add-ons add to T-cell engagers? I think we have a question. Well, let's, why don't we take this first, because, okay. go ahead. and then we'll go to the question. I mean, uh, we operate mostly in the preclinical space, so currently, like for T-cell engagers, we are looking at uh, checkpoints as combinations. Checkpoints. Julie? Yeah, I think we're, we're looking at things that may limit the bite activity and thinking about those in, in terms of combinations. Are there things that help recruit T-cells? Are there things that help maintain T-cell activity, help T-cell persistence? Okay. Uh, previously, a sort of hedge your bets play. You know, Responsible PDL1, TIM3, when I was at Lilly. But the, I think it's really, I, I prefer to look for things if I have the choice and things that give us differential biology as a bispecific format in the checkpoint space or the agonist space than would be if you gave the two molecules separately. And would you call out any in particular? Um, let's see. I know from the literature, Previously, I think a long time ago when I was back in my postdoctoral training, there was so much seen with 4-1-BB and OX-40 and Gitter with all these agonists. And then when you combine them together, you get cells to work differently. And, you know, I always used to 
think about it, could you actually combine some of these in a bi-specific format and get a better biology? Yeah, and it's one of the things that I've been struck that people haven't talked as much about. Given that CAR-T's, the major breakthrough in terms of bringing CAR-T's to the clinic involved introducing the co-stimulatory domain into these CAR-T's. And yet, when we talk about T-cell engagers, there hasn't been a lot of talk about adding that signal. I mean, I like the pdl one forum to be that's going towards the clinic, because I think that might be an interesting way to get, you know, that target where we need it to be, and, and even, you know, with, I'm not going to pronounce the Merck compound, but, you know, another way where you're going to get TGF-beta suppression where you want it uh, is a nice idea. So as you guessed, I was more on the previous conversation, Ann Cherry from Axiom Healthcare Strategies. This question of trying to get into solid tumors this is something that clearly CAR-T is running into a huge barrier. Is there anything about the T-cell engagers that might give them a leg up or a particular group of solid tumors where there might be that advantage? We alluded to molecule size as opposed to cell size. Anything else where they might have the advantage? Do you guys have an experience there with t solid tumors and T cell engagers? I have hypotheses, um, but <laughs> you guys owe me a few drinks later. But the, <laughs> the um, you know, I think the space that I think we should be focusing on is places where there's plenty of T cells, but no response to checkpoint therapy. Because that says something else is controlling the response. It's not just PD-1. PD-1 is not the, may eventually be the penultimate checkpoint, but not doing it right there. So you have T cells, they should be responding. Maybe that's where the bispecific is just waiting for the, we need the right target for it to get started. So maybe I'll comment from the, um, what I think is the largest experience with a solid tumor targeting T cell engager, and that is with the Roche 2 to 1 CEA CD3 bispecific. And that seems to have a lot of biologic activity. And in fact, I think I can say from the, um, the present, original presentation, it was mentioned that nearly every patient that was treated with that therapeutic developed at least uh, the um, appearance of an inflammatory response at the lesions. And so one, one biologic hypothesis you can have around that data set is that T-cell engagers, because they rely on T-cells that are already inherently at the tumor site, um, that that is an advantage at least over the current generation of CAR T-cells that don't yet have built-in machinery that homes them into those solid tumors. That's a lot of bells. Have we reached the bell limit? We have. Thank you very much. Please thank the panel, and thank you for the audience for your engagement here. I hope you enjoyed that podcast from the 2019 IO Combinations 360 conference. For more information, visit iocombinations360.com.